You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, 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 episode 95 here. And today's conversation is not entirely directly connected to eating disorders, but it is about therapy. And we're talking about better help. This conversation started on Instagram. So come hang out with me there and was continued in email. So come hang out with me there. And there was just a whole bunch of back and forth with me and some of you guys about some of my thoughts on BetterHelp, some of your thoughts on BetterHelp. Let's just compile an episode of all of the thoughts into one place, or at least the beginning of some of the thoughts into one place. And then we'll see what the rest of you think and um, continue the conversation with more of you. So for those of you who don't know what BetterHelp is, I hope I have all my facts straight about them. But basically, in a nutshell, they are an online therapy platform. And it's like a subscription-based, and you sign up, you get a therapist. If you don't like your therapist, you can switch, you can text in between. And they really advertise as like an easy experience. And there's no such thing as having to stick it out with somebody that you don't want. There's no such thing as having to wait for a session. They're always available. It's really, really great. And they happen to do really great marketing. I guess that's sort of why they're alive. But BetterHelp for for me and for lots of clinicians actually kind of pisses us off. And this episode is why that is and... And so what I'm talking about mostly is why that is and the thoughts behind all of that. So I think one of the things that BetterHelp really capitalizes on is the idea that therapy is very expensive. And they say, therapy doesn't have to be expensive. You can have this subscription, which is really, really affordable, beyond affordable. It's sort of like another, any subscription that you would have and is significantly cheaper than therapy, but still has all the benefits of therapy. And I think what we'll argue today is that it really doesn't have the same benefits as therapy. And sure, it's cheaper, but like it's not actually therapy. So maybe let's talk about a little bit about what therapy is and then, of course, what it isn't. So my understanding of therapy, based on my training, my experience, that this is the thing that I literally do every single day, that a lot of people go to therapy for a specific reason and they want to work on this one issue that they're having. And then when that problem goes away, they're finished therapy. That might be the case for a lot of people. But what I think we neglect to realize about therapy is that it's not so clear cut going to therapy. I have OCD or I have this fear of something specific or I have an eating disorder or I have depression, anxiety, list goes on and on. 
And when I'm done, I will not have an eating disorder. When I'm done, I will not have depression to the extent that it impacts my life. And I'm just done because I, let's say, took this medication or I did this regimen. Therapy is definitely not that simple. It is a lot more complex because depression, eating disorders, et cetera, come from so many different places that it's not possible just to hand someone a pill or the equivalent of a therapy pill and for that issue to go away. In which case, what therapy is, is breaking down, okay, yes, it looks like the problem is an eating disorder. And that is the title that we have given it. But it's about so much more. I mean, there is not a single person that walks through my not literal door and who doesn't have some version of relationship struggles, whether it's romantic relationships, familial relationships, or just friendships. There's something that's going on there. And even if it's not the biggest thing in the world, but there's something there that usually needs some help or self-esteem issues or motivation issues or anything related to their career. I mean, like, it's just impossible. I have never, ever seen it. It doesn't exist. And so when we lump something into this idea of, oh, this is my depression, this is my anxiety, this is my eating disorder, it's really neglecting the larger picture of what is actually the problem that's either connected to the major problem or really driving the major problem. And so I do not mean this in a condescending way at all in like, oh, you think you're going for an eating disorder, but really there's like a lot of else going on. I mean this in a way that why would anybody know anything about what's going on with their mental wellness if they've never been taught. Like if I had to go to an accountant, well, actually this is not an if. When I go to my accountant and figure out what the hell to do with my taxes and he's trying to explain to me and we're also switching things up. So he's trying to explain to me all the differences between LLC and an S Corp and a sole proprietor and all this stuff. I need to have questions. I'm not coming to him and saying, well, actually this is what I know based on my high school and college level accounting. And this is what's going to happen. I have my general idea of what I'm doing, but the rest of it is entirely a learning experience for me. And so this similar idea is with therapy. That we think we go to therapy for a reason. And when we actually walk through the door, we realize that either it's about a larger picture or it's about something else entirely. So what I mean by that is when you go into a situation like BetterHelp and you're saying, I'm trying to work on my eating disorder, for example, we're neglecting the fact that perhaps if there are a lot of relationship struggles or any patterns of interaction that are really impacting your functioning and then eventually your eating, that's not being addressed. And it's not something that's like on anyone's radar because it isn't something that you like ticked off on a questionnaire. Now, I'm not saying that a better help therapist is not capable of seeing past this. Maybe they're very capable. I, I don't know them personally. Even if they're you know newer in the field, say they just graduated, it doesn't mean that they are not able to see this or work with you on deeper patterns that are established based on your past experiences and relationships. But I think when you're set up with this model of your therapist is just like your manicurist or your hairstylist or really anybody. And if you don't like one thing that they do, it's just throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
then you are not giving yourself a chance to really look at some of the harder interpersonal challenges. So it's very possible that you're aware that you have some of these issues interpersonally. Like let's say if someone pisses you off, your tendency might be to run away. Like, well, F you, I'm running out. And maybe you're not aware of this at all. But it is certainly not something that you're able to just change based on telling yourself to do otherwise. Meaning you might say, oh, I have an eating disorder. I also have these interpersonal issues. But like, yeah, let me just not do it. You can't just not not do it. So when therapy comes in and you engage in this really intricate and unique interpersonal experience where a lot of your interpersonal patterns come out and almost the point of therapy is like to get you riled up. Well, not the point, but like part of when we know that therapy is actually working is when you get pissed off with your therapist. So FYI. But then you have an opportunity to do things differently, to explore what's going on. So you can do this in slow-mo. You're getting really angry and you can talk to your therapist directly. I am really angry at you that you said this. It's making me want to quit. It's making me want to run away. Now, the whole idea is that you don't because if you do, then we're defeating the purpose. We're not actually talking about this. But if you can really commit to the relationship, you have this really unique opportunity to look at and work on all of your interpersonal issues and struggles that you would never be able to address if you are not actually in this kind of situation. Hopefully, your therapist will not let you take the easy way out and say, oh yeah, well, actually, I guess it isn't a good fit. So go on your merry way, find your next therapist. So I'll give you a more specific example. Let's say this is your dating life. You like someone, you really like someone, and then like randomly, you don't like them. Then you dump them, you move on. And you're wondering why you haven't really created much of a connection with anyone. Maybe actually there are things for you to do, a list of things. Maybe, I don't know. But I think what's more important is why does that happen? How do you not catch the ick if you want to be in a relationship? It's not something that's so clear cut. And if you actually engage in this with someone and you can break it down together, then you can find some answers. But with BetterHelp, if you want to switch therapists, like let's say you like them or you never like them, but now you don't like them and you just dump them, move on. You can't ever ask those questions because they're just like, oh yeah, sure. No questions asked. That's the premise of BetterHelp. You can just move on. Now, I'm not saying that you should work with someone who you don't click with. And yes, therapy needs to be kind of like dating in that it has to feel like a match. But, and there is a huge but here. This is going to be obviously individualized. But we have to ask the questions. We can't just go on the assumption that it's not working and move on, especially if this is something that happens over and over, especially if you've been working with this person for a little bit. What's not working here? If you've been working with this therapist for six months or a year, what shifted? What do you think another therapist will be able to provide for you? What is it that this person is not giving you? In... What ways are you reacting to this person? Do they remind you of anyone? I once had a client who said that her dietitian reminded her of some of the mean girls in school, in which case she didn't like them. Now, in that situation, there was a lot of that to unpack. And at the same time, I really didn't think it was a good fit. And this dietitian was not good for her. But I really also think that in terms of switching, that can't possibly happen before really long and thought out conversations about what is not working. 
So the question is, is there a way that you can talk about this with this therapist? Is there a platform for you to do so? And the therapist is really supposed to be able to take all that information and have a conversation. So I know that a lot of you sadly have had pretty bad experiences where you tell your therapist or whoever your provider is that it's not working or that's something that they did pissed you off or just you reacted and they do get defensive. And I don't really know what to say to that. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a curious conversation about shedding light on the way that you perceive an interaction with somebody, to have a corrective experience, to have them either apologize or to see things in a different way, or maybe both. And I really, really hope that if you take the leap of faith and you talk to your therapist about this, that they aren't the, one of those people who get defensive. And there are so, so many therapists out there that will have a beautiful, non-defensive conversation with you. But if you don't ask them, if you don't push yourself to say the words, I will guarantee you that you will continue to act the way that you've been acting in the past, it will not help you. And even on the surface, if it feels like some of your issues have gone away, you'll never get past the depression, anxiety, eating disorder, et cetera. So in essence, what this is, is that therapy changes aren't necessarily measurable in the ways that you think they were. So for example, if you're coming in for eating disorder therapy, but then you're learning assertiveness and accepting your own imperfections and accepting life's imperfections, and you're starting to feel more connected with people, this all happens when you allow yourself to look at your relationship with therapists, not run from things that feel hard in therapy, whether it's interpersonal or just the work that you're doing. It can't possibly happen without all those feelings. Now, another thing with BetterHelp is that they're basically always available, which is problematic for, I think, a couple of different reasons. One is that therapy is based on a frame, a framework of boundaries that this is a safe space. This is the place that you go to talk. And it's bound by these safe walls or, or boundaries. I don't even know what to call them. And that is time, place, you know, relationship boundaries, like when they're available, in what ways they're available, the kinds of conversations you have. And if they're always available, you can always text them, you can always email them, you can always hop on a call, then therapy is not bound by anything and there's no container for healing. If you think about the way to get better is you have to have a place to do it. And when that is erratic, there is nothing holding it, which means that the foundation of the healing, the place to go there and do that doesn't exist. The other thing is that maybe the people working at BetterHelp are saints. But if you think about somebody who is constantly getting messages from somebody, text messages at all hours of the day, and they are expected to be on and let's be honest, not paid for it, then they will probably get resentful. And it is not in anyone's best interest, certainly not the person who is getting resentful and certainly not the person who is doing the thing that the person is getting resentful toward them for, because then they can't help you. Like if I'm angry at you, I probably don't want to help you. So one thing about boundaries is to preserve the longevity and the integrity of the relationship, which if your therapist cared about the longevity of your healing and actually the bounds of your relationship, then they would say, listen, like this is when we meet. And if you need a little bit more support, we can talk about it. The boundaries are really important because I value our relationship and I value your healing. This really applies to every type of relationship, not just therapist-client relationship. Although really, really, really important for therapist-client relationship because the whole point is 
that healing is based on the relationship or, or not the whole point, but a large majority of it. But if you think about it, every single one of your relationships outside, romantic relationships with your family, with your parents, with your kids, with your friends, if you don't have appropriate boundaries, the relationship can't survive. And maybe it's there, but it definitely can't be healthy. And if we're thinking about a therapeutic relationship that is supposed to promote healing and explore different ways and patterns of relating in order to work toward healing, then a relationship without boundaries, one that sort of allows for no therapeutic frame, always texting or emailing, then what are we doing? That's not a therapeutic relationship. That's not a healing relationship. That's a boundaryless relationship. So if you're being completely honest with yourself, if you are embarking on this journey of going to therapy and trying to work through your stuff, then doing it with somebody who has really solid boundaries. I'm not talking about like somebody who is inflexible, but somebody who has really solid boundaries for themselves. Then you have the best chance at healing with this person, whoever they are, if they're your therapist, somebody without those bounds, you really can't do the work that you need to do. Even if you are going in saying, I'm just going to work on my eating disorder. I'm just going to work on our depression because that's not possible. That never exists. And honestly, like I would love to be proven wrong. So if that exists, let me know, but I've never encountered it. And I, based on what I know, based on how I've learned, I don't think I'll ever encounter it. Another thing is, and I think this is mostly for people who can actually swing it. I'm not talking about if somebody actually can't afford therapy and you know, say they're using their insurance because it covers it completely, or they're going to a place that offers a signing scale to something that they can afford. I'm not saying that therapy is financially feasible for everyone. Sadly, that is a huge problem for a large majority of people. But if you are not investing at this point, like investing really, yes, your time and energy, but your money into therapy. And really you can insert the blank for anything. If you're not investing in whatever it is, then you probably won't get much out of it. And so when we have therapy as this subscription-based, like I'm making this number up, but it's like, let's say $30 a month, then there really is no skin off your back. There is nothing that you're really putting into this. Like if you just sort of don't want to do it one day or one month, okay, whatever, 30 bucks, big deal. When you have a stake in the game, oh, you had better make that work. That's like an internal drive because you're investing in something. A lot of times, and this is part of where ambivalence toward therapy comes in, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And um, therapy is hard. So very often we fall back on, well, it's too expensive and I can't do it. And of course, the people who can't do it and actually can't do it after they budget, then I understand and we figure other ways out. But there is a lot to be said for where you're putting your money and how that reflects your values. And so if you're doing a $30 a month therapy thing, then that just says how much you value therapy, in which case how much you will probably get out of it. And by the way, this entire conversation doesn't even scratch the surface. If you're a clinician working for BetterHelp, there are like just, they're anecdotally treated terribly and get paid almost nothing. And so... Who's the person who's carrying your emotional burden and working you through this healing process? Somebody who is grossly underpaid and highly overworked, probably will be under a tremendous amount of stress themselves. It's like probably a different topic, but just like sort of add it to the pot of the reasons why we love BetterHelp. 
So these are some of the reasons why I think that BetterHelp is probably not the best alternative for therapy. As always, if you have any thoughts, if you really disagree with me, if you agree with me and have more points, if you just want to shout out and say, hey, let me know. Send me a DM, send me an email, join my email list, respond there. In whatever way you get in contact with me, in whatever way you continue this conversation, share it with your friends, have the next part of the conversation with them. I'd love that. I'd really, really love that. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.